0: Glory to God. Open your Bibles with me this morning, please, to the book of Hebrews chapter 3. And while you're looking for Hebrews 3, I want to look again at something Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11. Don't you love the Word today? Oh, thank God for His Word. Thank God for something to stand on. Firm foundation beneath our feet. Thank you, Lord. We began last week looking at something Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 11 I want to continue with it today and we'll have this on the screen for you guys. Go ahead and put that up for me. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 It says at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, father, Lord of heaven and earth that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and you have revealed them. You've revealed them. He said to babes, even so father for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father, nor does anyone know the father except the son and the one to whom the son wills to, say it with me, reveal him. So this is the second time in these verses that Jesus has mentioned revelation, the revealing of the father, the revealing of the son. We talked some at length about this last week, but what revelation really is and how you and I as believers, this is what we're hungry for. We live in a, a knowledge intensive world. We live in a, in a culture that puts so much emphasis on, on gathering, collecting, owning more data, more information, more knowledge, more knowledge, more knowledge, more knowledge. And knowledge is a good thing. But when it comes to God, you don't just want knowledge. You want revelation knowledge. You don't just want something that comes from another person. You want something that came straight from the father. You want something that comes as the result of the the Holy Spirit living big on the inside of you. I like to say it like this. He's the only one that can flip that switch, that can turn that light on. I can't flip that switch in you. I can give you some knowledge about God. But what we want is the anointing on his word that turns a light on in us. Amen. That reveals something about God that you can't get out of somebody else's head. Something that you can't get just out of information, reading in in somebody's uh, experience or so-called experience. You want something that came straight from him. And this is what Jesus is talking about. revelation. Now an interesting thing to note is the way this verse started, it says, "At that time, Jesus said that." And some of these words in scriptures we tend to kind of just gloss over without, without asking the Lord, "Is this significant? Is this important?" And when the Bible says, "At that time, Jesus said it, it, it wasn't referring to like 12:30 on a Tuesday." It wasn't referring to a, a natural time or a day on the calendar. You study it out in some other translations, and one translation I like says, at that epical and strategic moment, E-P-O-C-H-A-L, epical or epochal. If you study that or look it up, which I had to do, (laughs) it literally means the beginning of a new development and a new era. When it says, at that time Jesus said this, What it's really saying is Jesus is starting something new. But to begin a new development, do you know what you have to do? You got to end an old one. To start a new time, a new era, you have got to end the old one. And I've always thought about this in terms of my marriage. September 1st, 2007, the day I married Sarah Hart, started a new era in my life. It started a whole new development. It was the beginning of something new. It was the beginning of married Jeremy. And this is a new guy. This is a new development. This is a new era. But how many, help me out, ladies. To, for, for married Jeremy to succeed, what has to happen? Single Jeremy's gotta die. <laughs> Do you ever wonder why we get married at altars? Because something's got to die. Something's got to be put to death. Married Jeremy had to die. If, or excuse me, single Jeremy had to die. (laughs) Help him, Lord. Help him, Lord. (laughs) Folks, my daughter came in at 4.30 this morning. And when she came in, I was awake. So I've been up for a little bit. If I take a nap in the pulpit, y'all won't mind, right? (laughs) For married Jeremy to succeed, single Jeremy... See you sucker. I mean, that guy had to leave and go forever. What am I telling you? I'm saying you can't live in the new era under the old rules. You can't live in this new development with the old way of thinking. If I try to live as a married man thinking like a single man, (laughs) it don't work. It will not work. Things have got to change, right? So at this time, Jesus is beginning something new and ending something old. And he starts talking about revealing the father and how nobody knows the father unless the son has revealed him. It takes Jesus revealing the father to us and notice what Jesus said right on the heels of that, right on the heels of saying that no one can know the father except the son and the one to whom the son wills to reveal him. Here's a revelation right here. What's the next verse? Come to me all. He just told you who he wants to reveal the father to. All. Come to me all, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. For your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is beginning a new development, a new era, a new time. And it's called rest. But for this time, an era of rest to begin, what's going to have to end? The old one. The old era where you carried everything. That old time where you labored and you were heavy laden. See, you cannot, we cannot live in this new era called rest while we still carry everything. That's trying to be married and think single. You cannot, you cannot be in this friendship, fellowship, marriage relationship with God and keep thinking like you're the one who's supposed to carry everything. You can't keep living in this old era where you labor and you work for it and you try to earn it. It won't work. It doesn't work. Jesus is starting something new and it's called rest. Now we talked about last week how there are things that get revealed to us about the character and nature of God that we can only see when we're at rest. There is, there's something about resting that reveals him. Resting itself reveals his character, but there are things that you need to hear from him, see from him, find out from him that you won't until you enter into some rest. He said, be still and know that I'm God. Like we said last week, there are things that only, that you can only find out about God when you're being still. Still. I might say it to you like this. Be still and know that he's God, not you. Because when you're constantly working, when you're constantly striving and toiling and laboring, when you're the one carrying the burden, to some degree, whether you want to admit it or not, you think you're God. You think it's on you to make things right, to fix things, to heal things, to provide for the family. Come on, don't get quiet on me. We've all dealt with this. It's in the nature of the flesh to want to work for it. And this is getting ahead of myself here, but this is one of the things we have to deal with and reconcile. If we want to enter into the rest of God, we're going to have to crucify this flesh and we're going to have to crucify not just the flesh, but its tendency To want to have worked for it and perform and by its own blood, sweat, and tears be able to look at it, something and say, look what I did. Look what I made. Look what I've created. And the flesh wants the glory for it. The flesh flesh wants to say, I sweat for this. The flesh wants to say, I'm the one who worked for it. I'm the one who sweat for it. But to enter into this rest, and if you're going to live in this new era, let no flesh glory in his presence. Let all the glory go to God. And if there's anything to boast about, you boast in the cross. You know, even people's imagination of the earliest man, which is not true if you're a Bible-believing Christian. But what does it sound like? That Neanderthal, me, me, man. Right? Me, man, me, make fire. (laughs) and it it sounds so just Neanderthal it sounds so (laughs) barbaric but do you know what it sounds like in the ears of God me man me make living for me family me provide food and put food on table for me 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 clothe children Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it sounds just as ridiculous as long as you're the one working for it. We'll talk some more about this. I want to keep moving here. Did you find Hebrews chapter three? We read some of this last week. I want to look at it again. We're going to read some here in Hebrews chapter three down into chapter four, but just look at verse seven again. Hebrews chapter three, seven. The Bible says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, I want you to take note of how many times this comes up in these scriptures here, talking about hearing the voice of God today. If you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. But he says in verse 12, beware brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Did you catch that? An evil heart of unbelief. I think we need some mind renewal about what actually makes God mad. About what he actually calls evil. You want to know what makes him mad more than anything else? Not believing him. Just not believing what he said. You want to know what's evil in his eyes? Oh, we look in the world and we see all these horrible, evil things going on in the world around. You want to know what he calls evil? Unbelief. An evil heart of not believing him. This is serious stuff. He said, beware, verse 12, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called a day, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you'll hear his voice, there it is again, do not harden your hearts in the rebellion as in the rebellion for who having heard rebelled Did you catch that they heard. They heard something and they rebelled. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Verse 19, so we see they could not enter in, talking about his rest, because of unbelief. They could not enter in because of unbelief. They could not enter in because of unbelief. Would you say that with me? They could not enter in because of unbelief. Say it again. They could not enter in. Why? Because of what? Because of unbelief. Now we're going to read this in just a moment. And if you were to have asked them, them being the children of Israel, that first generation that God miraculously brought out of Egypt, if you were to ask them, hey, why ain't y'all going in? God's got this promised land for you. It's a place of rest, which is what he called it, my rest, why are you hanging out in the wilderness? It's right over there, Why, why don't you go get it? Why don't you enter into it? If you were to ask them, they would have told you, oh, We can't. Why? Giants, walls, armies, chariots, they're bigger than us, they're stronger than us. It's a land that devours its inhabitants. They would have given you a list of reasons why they could not go in, why they did not enter the rest of God. But help me out. Would any of those reasons be true? Why couldn't they enter in? One reason. Un- belief. What kept them out of the promised land? One thing, it wasn't tall people. It wasn't strong walls. It wasn't armies and chariots. It wasn't any of that. It was what church? Unbelief. We see they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now chapter four, verse one, he says, therefore, or in light of that, since a promise remains of entering the rest, let us fear, Lest any of you seem to have come short of it. You don't want to fall short of it like they did. You don't want there to be be something that God has promised you. You don't want to have a place, a land, a provision, a place that flows with milk and honey. You don't want that to be out there and you to fall short of entering into it. He said, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it for indeed. Now listen to this. Indeed, the gospel. Somebody say the gospel. The gospel gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Who's them? It's that first generation of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. That's, That's an Old Testament group, right? And yet it says here. The gospel was preached to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. The Bible says that these people heard the gospel. Now, when we think of the gospel and the gospel that's been preached to us, we think about salvation from sin. Through the blood of Jesus, we think about the sacrifice, we think about the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, all these things. The very fundamental things of the gospel, these things that we believe that that make us who we are as New Testament believers. But again, what did the scripture say? Those people, this is Old Testament people, they heard the gospel. The gospel was preached to them. But it says it didn't profit them. The same way that the gospel right now is doing millions upon millions, even billions of people on this planet, no good. Now help me out. What is gospel? What's the gospel mean? That word gospel. Does anybody know what does it mean? Good news. Good news. And would you agree that that what Jesus did for you and for me is good news? Would you agree that being free from sin and condemnation and and having righteousness with God is good news? Man, this is good news. Good news that the blood of Jesus was shed for us. Good news that he went to the cross and and carried our sin. This is good news. But this good news that is doing so much for us is doing so little for so many. What makes the good news work for us, profit us. What's making this good news do something for us while it does nothing for people out there? What's the difference? You believe it. You believe it. And so you have entered in to some things because you believed the good news that was preached to you. Why isn't this good news of Jesus, who he is and what he's done, profiting people in the world, even people that have heard it? don't believe it. And it's their unbelief that's keeping them out. It's not God keeping them out. It's not Jesus keeping them out. It's unbelief keeping them on the outside. Now, this goes on to say in verse three, for we who have believed do enter that rest. As he said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he's spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. God rested the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Uh, look that word up. It's literally the same word translated unbelief. Why didn't they enter in? Unbelief. unbelief. Again, he designates a certain day saying, in David today, after such a long time, as it's been said today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. If you're going to live in this new development, in this new era, you got to end the old one. you got to cease from your labor. You have to cease from your work and enter into his rest. Verse 11, though, listen to this. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. The King James Bible says it like this, and it's kind of confusing. Let us labor to enter the rest. Huh? Are we laboring or are we resting? Come on Bible. Help me out. You said rest, enter the rest, cease from your works. Ooh, that sounds good. Doesn't it? Yeah. So how do you do it? You labor. (laughs) What now? labor to enter in to the rest. I want to show you what that means. Go back to the old Testament with me to the book of Exodus. And I want to look one more time at this nation of Israel and how God delivered them. And that's what that whole passage is about in Hebrews chapter four. These are the ones he's talking about. And the new Testament tells us that these things are written for our example That what took place in God delivering his people out of Egypt is a type. It's a shadow. It's it's an example for us. And it really is, man. There's some powerful things in it. I mean, Moses himself is a type of Jesus. The deliverer. But I want you to see this in, in Exodus chapter... We're going to start in chapter three. You know what's happened already in, in chapter one. We dealt with this last week. Um, Pharaoh is afraid of the children of Israel. They're growing. He said they're more, they're mightier than us. We need to come up with a plan to keep these people at bay. And he comes up with this plan to make them work and to make them labor. But what ends up happening is they keep growing stronger and stronger and stronger. And he enforces this next phase of his plan. And it's what the Bible calls to make them serve with rigor. And it has to do with cruelty. Cruelty. It's an effort to break these people, and yet they keep growing. And when none of this is working, that's when he decides to get into the baby-killing business. And he gives instructions to his people and even to the Hebrew midwives. When, when, the, when the women of the Hebrew children give birth, if it's a male baby, throw it in the river. And it wasn't until this that the soul of the, the children of Israel began to break. And you could see, that's the spirit at work. That's the assignment on, as far as I can tell, the first recorded abortions. Trying to break the soul of a people. And now, we, we would think, just a few years ago, you'd think, man, yeah, nobody would kill a baby after it's been born. Are you seeing the same stuff I'm seeing? People fighting for the Right. To kill a a baby that's been born. Can you see what's behind that? The same spirit driving it in Egypt all those years ago is trying to drive it in this nation and in nations around the world. It's an effort to break the soul of the people. And this is what's going on. And it was when this began to happen that the children of Israel began to cry out to God. And he heard their cry for help. He visited them. He went and found Moses who was on the backside of a desert and told him what he called him to do and to, to deliver those people. But I want you to hear specifically in Exodus chapter three, what God told Moses to say in verse 16, this is God speaking to this man, Moses. He said, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God, your father uh, of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob appeared to me saying I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. This is what God told Moses to go preach to these people. What is this? The gospel he's preaching the gospel. Now let me back up here just a minute. When it came up strong in my heart just a few weeks ago to begin introducing this to us, talking about rest, rest, entering the rest of God. The one thing I went back to the Lord on and just had one question about was I thought, Lord, you know, we're still so young as a church and I'm doing my very best to preach things that are fundamental, foundational, foundational truths from your word, foundational things to who we are, But the more I've looked at this church, the more I realize that rest is just about as fundamental as it gets. It's the gospel. It's as basic as the gospel. What God told Moses to go preach to these people was this gospel of rest. I've seen you, I've visited you. I know what's going on. I know the burden you're carrying. I've seen your labor and your toil and I'm bringing you out. Oh, come on, listen. I'm bringing you out. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. I'm bringing you out, but not just out. I'm bringing you out that I might take you in into a land that flows with provision into a land where you don't labor and toil, you rest. That's the gospel. And God's telling Moses, go preach the gospel to him. And so fast forward here. It says in chapter four, verse 29, Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. He did the signs in the sight of the people. What's this saying? They preached the gospel to him, said the Lord's bringing you out of here. He's taking you to a place of rest. And in verse, what is this, 31. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, that he had looked on their affliction, notice this, they bowed their heads and worshipped. They worshipped. Now this is the right response. This is what you do when the gospel gets preached to you. And what is the gospel? I'm bringing you out of here. I'm delivering you from this mess. I'm delivering you from labor and burden and toil, and I'm delivering you to rest. Now, here's the interesting thing. They bowed their head. They worshiped, but they ain't out yet. Are you listening? It's not like Moses preached it and bam, they're out. They're gone. No, they're not out yet. And yet they worshiped. I'm saying this to you because I want you to see this is our response our response is not to wait and worship when the word of the Lord comes and says, I've seen what you're going through. I know what you're dealing with. I'm bringing you out of it. There is rest in your future. Your response is not, okay, I'll worship you when I see that. No, your response is to worship when the word comes. Your response is to worship and praise the moment you get that word. And that's what they did. But you go to into chapter five and now Moses not only tells the people that, Hey, the Lord's, Wanting to deliver you. Now he's going to go tell Pharaoh and Pharaoh doesn't worship. (laughs) Pharaoh doesn't even agree. (laughs) Chapter five, verse one, afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, who's the Lord? Who are you even talking about that? I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I don't know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us, please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord, our God, and lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And the king of Egypt said to them, Moses, Aaron, listen, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now and you make them rest from their labor. Brother didn't even know what he was saying. (laughs) Talking to this type of Jesus who was to come. He's mad about it. You make them rest from their labor. You bet he does. You bet he does. But Pharaoh's mad about this. And you know the rest of this. Pharaoh commanded his his, uh, officers. He said, don't give the people straw to make brick. Verse seven, let them go and gather straw for themselves. He said in verse 8, You will lay on them the quota of bricks which they'd made before. Don't reduce it. They're idle. They cry out, Let us go sacrifice to our God. In verse nine, verse 9, he said, Let more work be laid on the men that they may labor in it, and let them not regard these words. He went on to say, and to tell his officers, to tell them, Your work's not going to be reduced. I'm not giving you straw. You're going to have to go get it and you're going to have to fulfill the quota of daily bricks that you were meeting before. And they came and they said, we can't do that. We can't do that. And they beat them. Why am I telling you all this? I'm wanting you to see before we get to the promised land and the land of rest, what God was delivering them out of. He was delivering them out of an unreasonable workload, an impossible task, they couldn't do it. And this is the definition of what it means to labor and to toil. and It means to work till you break your own back and still you can't keep up. Still you can't produce enough. I'm wanting you to see here what God was delivering his people out of. But notice this, this is funny to me, not to them, I'm sure. <laughs> Verse 18, it says, Therefore go now and work. No straw will be given you, yet you will deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw they were in trouble. After it was said, You shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. Verse 20 of chapter 5, then. As they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge because you've made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. They came out and found Moses and Aaron. Like, where are all those guys? You, come here. What are you doing? You've made this worse for us. Now, here's what's interesting. And I've never noticed this before. Guys, how tight can you get on the pages of my Bible right here? Can you do this? Do we have any room to zoom? I'll just point to here. Here, you see my Bible, and most likely yours is the same way. It's printed in two columns. The end of chapter 4, where they worshipped God because of his word. I'm delivering you. They worshipped him right here. Watch this. This is where they're complaining. (laughs) Worship, complaining. Praise, complaining. It doesn't take long, does it? Where'd all that worship go? Where'd all that praise go? Oh, he's going to deliver us. The worship went away when it didn't happen like Monday at 8 a.m. Now, all of a sudden, these worshiping, praising people want nothing to do with this deliverer. You've made it worse for us. They're trying to kill us. Man, I, we don't have time to read through all this, but you know the story. You know how big and how strong and how mighty God went to work. I mean, it was an outstretched hand, it was a mighty arm, and there was not a single atheist in all of Egypt after God got done, right? I mean, it was plague after plague. He brought these people out. He delivered them even in spite of their complaining, even in spite of their grumbling. They come out of Egypt and they, we talked about it last week, they stood at the edge of the Red Sea and now Pharaoh's on his way to kill him again. And they think, well, we're either gonna die fighting him or drown in this sea. They start complaining again. And that's where Moses said, shut up. He said, you are gonna see God fight for you today. And the words he spoke to them were, be still, hold your peace and remain at rest. He's trying so hard to get these people to rest. And they're complaining the whole time, but God still, he splits the sea. They walk across on dry land, delivers them. All of Pharaoh's army drowns in the sea. You know, it was compassion, I believe, that brought these people out. Because you got to look hard to find any faith. Faith. I really believe it was the compassion of the Lord. They cried out and help. And I think God said, I'll take that as faith. <laughs> it was his compassion. Can you see that? These are not faith giants. These are not big faith people who trust God at every turn. As a matter of fact, all it takes is things to get just a little bit worse and, and they're giving up, man. So it was compassion that brought them out. But you know what? It's something else. That'll take you in. The Lord is merciful. He is compassionate, and through His compassion, He'll deliver you out of a bunch of stuff. And He'll take whatever baby step of faith you can give Him, whatever whatever ounce of faith you can show. He'll take it and do what He can with it. And out of His great mercy and compassion, deliver us out of a bunch of stuff. But when it comes time to enter in, to enter in. To the rest, it's something else. Compassion will bring you out, but courage will take you in. It's required. Go to the book of Numbers chapter 12. God was so good to these people, he delivered them. And he stayed with them. But you know the story. I mean, Moses had to talk God out of killing these people on more than one occasion. And finally, God said to Moses, look, I'll give you an angel and he can take you. I'm not going. You remember that? I'm not going with you. He said, if I go with you, I am going to consume this whole entire nation. So here, take an angel. And Moses had to talk him out of it. No, we want you to go with us. And God was like, fine. (laughs) But do you remember what he said to him? And we'll talk some about this, I think, in the weeks to come. He said, okay, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. But you get here to Numbers chapter 13. And this is where Moses sends out spies. And they're going to go check out this land that flows with milk and honey. This place of rest. And the, the, the spies went and they came back. And it says in verse 26. After they came back to Moses and Aaron. And all the congregation of the children of Israel. In the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them. And to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. Yeah, it truly flows with milk and honey. This is its fruit. Verse 28. Nevertheless. Oh, brother. But they said. That's what nevertheless means. But. But. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. If you go back to the gospel that Moses preached to these people, he already told them all that. He listed literally all these people that are there, it was part of the gospel. It was part of the good news. But do they hear it as good news? No. Uh -uh. But I like this. Verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let's go up like now and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not well able. So which is it? You got... Two groups of people who went to the same place, saw all the same stuff. One comes back and says, we can't do it. The other comes back and says, we can do it. One comes back and says, we're not able. The other says, we are able. What do you do? Who do you believe? Listen to what they said. Verse 31, the men had gone up with him and said, we're not able to go up against the people. They are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report. So you've got good news and you've got bad news. Now, whether or not you enter into the rest of God depends entirely on which news you believe. So let me ask you, church, you want the good news or the bad news? news. You better want this good news. Now, these other guys came back with bad news. And the bad news is like we've gone over it. There's tall people there. There's walls. The cities are fortified. They're stronger than we are. The good news, though, Caleb said, let's go right now. We're well able to take it. But verse 32, again, they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inheritance. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were, uh, listen, listen, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in theirs. This is a window into the soul of these people. How they saw themselves, small, insignificant, not strong, and not able. That's why it says in chapter 14, verse one, the, all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? that our wives and children should become victims. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's select a leader and return to Egypt. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel saying, the land we passed through To spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. He's going to do what? Give it to us. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will just give it to you. I'm going to give you some rest. Oh, good. I want this rest. What do we got to do? Labor. You want to get into this rest? Yes, I do. What do you got to do? Labor, labor to enter in to the rest. He said, he'll give it to us a land, which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Don't fear the people of the land. They are bread. We're going to eat these people for lunch. Their protection has departed from them. The Lord's with us. Don't fear them. Can you hear how different these two reports are? You got good news. You got bad news. What is it that kept these people from entering into the rest? Was it the giants? No. Was it the tall walls? The fortified cities? The chariots? What was it? Unbelief. Unbelief. One thing kept them from entering into the rest. We which have believed, what do we do? We enter in. So unbelief is the only thing that can keep you out. Faith is the only thing that can take you in. So where does labor come in? We're supposed to labor to enter into the rest? Yeah, because faith is a fight. Well, if faith is a fight, then how is faith a rest? Faith is the fight to enter the rest. And faith is the fight to stay at rest, to remain at rest. And there is a fight. You're going to have to fight the bad news with the good news. What's the fight? You got to fight everything you see. You got to fight everything you feel. You got to fight other people's unbelief. You got to fight all their experience that tells you you can't go in. There is a fight of faith to get into this rest. And the only way into it is faith. The only way into rest is believing and we have a crystal clear picture right here in the word of what unbelief sounds like and what faith sounds like. We don't have to be confused about it at all. Go back and look at at the 10 spies. What did they do? What did the nation of Israel do? They cried and they wept. You cannot cry and weep incessantly nonstop. And be in faith at the same time. Now there is a cry of faith. And that's what the children of Israel offered up when they were being beaten. And they were under that heavy labor and that burden and that toil. And their families were being ripped apart and their babies were being killed. They cried. If you look up that word cry in Exodus, it literally is help. Help. Did you know there's enough faith in help for God to go to work in your life? Because it's humility to ask for help is humility. What are you saying? I can't do it. I don't have the strength. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the know-how help. And there was enough faith in that cry of help to open the door for God to go to work in their lives and in that nation. So yes, there is a cry that he will hear. But to just lay across the bed and lay in the floor day and night and cry and cry. And God, why? And God, why? And why me? And why now? And God, don't you see me? And God, why can't I? And God, why can't I? And cry and cry and cry. There's no faith in that. You got to stop it. Can I just be plain? You got to stop it. Enough with the crying and the weeping. It's time to put some faith in your voice. It's time to stop looking at the bad news and start looking at the good news. Did he or did he not invite you into this rest? There's the gospel. And the only way that gospel of rest is going to do you any good is when you believe it. What did these, these spies in this nation do? They cried and they wept. What does unbelief sound like? I'm not able. This is what unbelief says I'm not able. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. This is what unbelief says. I can't, I can't, I can't. Unbelief makes excuses. Why didn't you go into the land of rest? Why didn't you go into the promised land? Well, we would have, but nevertheless, you know, there's tall people there. So, so we'll just hang out here for 40 years and excuses. Unbelief makes excuses for why you can't possess the land that God's called you and given to you to possess this land of rest. Unbelief cries and weeps and makes excuses. You know what faith says? Let's go. It's so easy. It's so easy to spot faith. Faith is bold. Come on, what are we waiting on? Let's go and let's go now. Faith sees it in a different way. But beware. If you're going to live and walk and talk and fight by faith, beware. You are going to tick some people off. (laughs) Because Caleb and Joshua said, come on, quit this crying. Quit this weeping. We got to go and let's go now. The Lord is with us. We are well able to do it. And you know what the people of Israel did? Picked up rocks. To start to stone them. You're going to see some of that too. Hopefully not rocks thrown at your head. But you will see some people who, who do not take kindly to your boldness and your confidence of faith. Faith either stirs people up or it ticks people off. And that's going to happen when you make the decision that you are going into this rest. I'm done being the one carrying it and laboring and toiling to no end. I'm casting the care onto him and I'm going into my rest. And you start talking like that. You start talking about how strong you are in the Lord and how you are able to overcome and and what you have in Christ Jesus. You get people, okay, whatever. Let's be real. You mean, let's be real carnal. That's what you mean. Let's be real fleshy. Let's be real unbelieving. It's so easy to hear the difference. Go ahead, guys. Just begin to play something for me. People, Christian people, are so quick to get offended. If you ever even kind of slightly begin to suggest that maybe they're still dealing with something and the reason might be a lack of faith. How dare you suggest that I don't have faith. I don't do that with people. I, I'm, I'm very slow to ever say anything like that. But come on, let's be honest. Could it be? I mean, could it be that perhaps the problem is you haven't entered into the rest of your healing you haven't entered into the rest of provision you haven't entered into the rest of the restoration of your marriage and your family and your relationships could the problem be unbelief because according to the scripture that's the only thing that can keep you out so would you be willing to be honest with yourself and honest with the Lord have I been unbelieving somewhere because we who have believed do enter the rest. They couldn't enter in. Why? Unbelief. We enter in. Why? How? Belief, faith, and we labor to enter into that rest. No matter what I see, no matter what I feel, I trust you. That's the fight of faith. No matter what I see, no matter what I feel, I'm entering into this place of rest. I am well able. I'm strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, and I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. How do you get into this rest? You believe. We which have believed do enter into the rest. Amen. Stand up on your feet. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts be blessed today we love you and remember you are always welcome here in the house of faith